Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. Alright, so before we get started, um, you may have noticed if you're one of those people that pays like close attention to email, like the 1%, thank you, um, but we have sermon titles each week. And I want to give you a little behind-the-scenes insight into this. So whenever we come up with a sermon series, Doug and I will come down and we'll uh, throw out ideas. And then when we land on one, we'll write the description and the sermon titles each week and all that stuff. And so for this sermon series, I came up with the overall title, The Divided Church of Christ, and then description for that. And Pastor Doug, he came up with the sermon titles each week. And so I looked at the sermon title for this week, and it says this. Foolish Preaching with Tony Kako. And for a second, I took it a little personally, but then I saw the title for next week, which is this. No Impressive Wisdom Here with Doug Warburton. So just set your expectations accordingly the next couple weeks. It's going to be mediocre. All right, so, yeah, exactly. So we're going to jump into our text. We are continuing uh, through the beginning of 1 Corinthians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he started. And in our reading from last week, Paul talked about the divisions that were happening in the church in Corinth. And Pastor Doug talked about how these divisions, of course, continue even to today. But at the time, they were split over which pastor they preferred. And they were split over whose teaching they thought were the wisest. And so in our reading for today, Paul doesn't address all those arguments. Instead, he challenges the very idea of how they're using wisdom and applying it to the gospel. So here's our reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of the proclamation or foolish preaching to save those who believe. For Jews ask for signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to abolish things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. In contrast, God is why you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So I have to admit, when I read through that reading this week, I had to stop and go back to the beginning and then read it again a few different times. And still at the end of that, I was like, what? What did you say, Paul? I don't, maybe the rest of you are just wiser than me, but that was my experience. Like there was a line like this, which is a quote from Isaiah 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart, whatever that means. Or then there's this part. He says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of the proclamation to save those who believe. That's clear, right? Now, it, it feels like instead of being his usual logical self, Paul is kind of talking in circles here. But then I think it all comes down to the first verse in our reading. This is verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What Paul is saying is in all usual wisdom, both 2,000 years ago and today, the message of the cross it doesn't make any sense. But for those who have experienced the crucified and risen Christ, it shows us the true nature and power of God. We're so used to hearing about the cross in church that we forget how much of a scandal it was. We forget that following a savior who was crucified is an embarrassment to most people. Think about it. A hero that you follow is supposed to be someone who wins. They're supposed to be someone who shows that they are stronger than their enemies, not someone who lays down and dies before them. But then if you look at the life of Jesus, his ministry starts to unfold in the Gospels, and there's this growing tension between the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, and then the ways of the world, the kingdoms of Herod and the kingdoms of Caesar. And finally, when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, this tension comes to a head. And he comes face to face with Herod. And then face to face with Pilate, the representative of Caesar. But what happens? He dies. And then Herod and Pilate and Caesar, they all are still in power. That's not what we would expect. We would expect that a Savior leads us to victory. That Jesus' way would show us that we get to be happy and healthy and wealthy and it doesn't. Instead, Jesus says, follow me, and that might lead to a crucifixion, to pain and humiliation and death. Now today, we have no shortage of inspirational messages all around us. Just look at a self-help section or a self-development section. All of these messages that tell us how to get what we want, to be successful and wealthy and healthy, and it's one of the great ironies of Christianity today that so many Christian books and podcasts and sermons end up falling under that self-help category. We're told that God's goal for the world is for you specifically to be successful. Follow Jesus. You'll have a long, happy, healthy, wealthy life. If you've ever heard the term the prosperity gospel, this is exactly what it is. And it's all around us. The problem with that message of prosperity is that it doesn't match up with the cross. Now, yes, yes, life is a gift. We're told in the Bible that we are meant to enjoy this gift, but Jesus' calling is so much bigger than that. We're supposed to join God in transforming this world and changing the world. That is dangerous. It requires sacrifice. In other words, the Christian calling means trusting that we are a part of something so much bigger and more important than our individual well-being. Now, if you look at Jesus' life, he's pretty clear about this all along, actually. The usual means of success and achievement in this world, they don't 
match up with God's vision for the world. Think about how his life starts. Jesus is born to this family of poor peasants in a backwater of the empire, in this place nowhere, no one cared about. When Jesus grows up, people ask things like, what? What good could come out of Nazareth? Is this Joseph's son? Like the, the carpenter, the laborer's son, really? Surely nothing good and important could come out of a guy or a place like that. And then he starts teaching, and Jesus says things like, the first will be last. If you want to save your life, you're going to have to give it up and lose it. Or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, like this tiny seed from a weed that just is common. It shows up everywhere. That's what God's kingdom is like. We were watching the new Viking show on Netflix the other week, Vikings Valhalla, and uh, one of the characters is Leif Erikson, and the show is pure fiction pretty much, but in real life, Leif Erikson was this explorer, and he actually made the journey from Europe to the Americas, like 500 years before Christopher Columbus, which I find it kind of wild that I had never heard that until I watched this show and then Googled it about him, but I found this out. But anyway, in the trailer for this Viking show, Leif says this famous line, fortune favors the bold. Maybe you've heard that before. It's actually an ancient Latin proverb from at least the second century, if not older, and it's still part of our culture today. Fortune favors the the bold. Think about what people expect from successful people, people who make their mark on history. Well, they're supposed to have big egos. They're supposed to be confident always in themselves. They're supposed to go for, they want, for what they want no matter the cost. And then Jesus says, it's not like that with God. With God, it's the meek who will inherit the earth. That's the exact opposite of the bold or the confident. And then he says, yeah, guess what? The people who are poor and who are mourning now, they will be laughing in the end. And God does not seek out the strong and the wise and the best and the best. No, God seeks out those who are lost, the least of these. So all of Jesus' life and then his choosing to go to the cross, all of that shows us that God takes the best things and they come from the least likely places. So let's go back to our letter. Paul talks to the Corinthians all about the foolishness of the cross, but then he does something really interesting in the second half of that reading. He tells the Corinthians basically, now if you look in a mirror, you will see that God has done the same thing with you. So this is our reading starting in verse 26. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Do you think Paul had friends? Not many, right, if this is how he talks to them. Not many of you were all that impressive. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to abolish things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. Now, from what we know about this community, we read some other places about Corinth, and there are some people who are respectable members of the community. There are some of them who are well off, but not many. And Paul's like, let's be real, people. Y'all are not that impressive. 
you're, you're just not that great, okay? None of you were voted most likely to succeed in high school. Sorry to tell you that. And God chose you for a reason, and it's not a flattering one. God did this on purpose. Paul literally says God chose in you the foolish, the weak, the despised, the low, the people who mean nothing. And God did it for a reason. See, the point was to show the power of the gospel is in the message and not in you. So I've been a part of leading worship every week since I was in high school, pretty much. Because in high school, I started joining in the praise team. And I think this has formed me in a particular way. And I feel personally that worship matters. And doing worship well is important for my life. Not only the message, but the flow, the energy in worship. And when worship is connected with this life in a community, I think that this experience has a power to change how we live. Now I say all this in the hopes that you won't misunderstand what I'm gonna say next. Because I have a confession for you. Hugh, just, just don't pay attention for a little while. I have a confession. One of my favorite parts of worship is when something happens and it doesn't go according to plan. That explains a lot, right? No, one of my favorite parts of worship in church life is when something happens that is not supposed to happen. And I don't just mean being careless and forgetting about things, although sometimes it happens. No, what I mean is I love it when things happen that keep us humble. Things happen that help us not to take ourselves too seriously. Because the point of worship was never supposed to be how great we are at putting on a show, putting on a production of worship. The point of worship is that we worship a God who is so great that God would even use people like us to spread good news in the world. So at a previous church of mine, there was this member who was a differently abled adult, and he came pretty much every week to worship to all of our services. And he would do things like get up and walk around, worship and sit in a different place, and get up and walk around it all throughout. He would spill his coffee at least once a month on the pews and the floor. And then during the week, he would walk around to different rooms and kind of flick the lights on and off. Even if you were having a meeting in that room, that wouldn't stop him. It's just who he was. And we had to have some conversations and some boundaries. But for the most part, people came to accept this is just who this person is. Then there was this one service that I'll never forget. I was making the announcements, and it included an announcement about a meal. And so he was like half asleep. And then he perks up, and he walks up to the very front, right in front of me, and he starts asking me questions about it. He says, did you say there's going to be food? Yes, that's right. What kind of food? Well, it's going to be pizza. What, when? On Wednesday. What time on Wednesday? 6.30. 6.30? That's right. Can I get a ride home? Yes, we'll get you a ride home. Okay. And then he went and sat down until the next service, when we had exactly the same conversation, again, during the announcement time of worship. But I love the fact that the community just accepted him, right? He could not follow all of the social rules. He couldn't follow all the etiquette of how to properly behave in worship, and it didn't matter. He was just as much a part of that church as anyone else was. And the reality is, for a lot of people, that's just not true too many places. Now, conventional wisdom would tell us that we all have a right to be comfortable. And the way of Jesus says, sometimes 
you need to be uncomfortable. If that's what it takes to show someone that they are loved and accepted by God. I remember a few Zoom classes that we had with parents. Uh, Some of them were recently with Kara Haig. And she has an interesting background because she worked as a youth pastor, but she was also trained as a sexual health educator. And so she talked with this group of parents about the complexities of consent, about um, difficulties around sexuality, and then how we as people of faith can manage those awkward conversations with our kids. And I have this mug on my desk I love that Greta uh, got for me after one of these classes. And it says, you are worth the awkward. It's one of the great lines from her classes. You are worth the awkward. Because the reality is, it is awkward to have those conversations with our kids. But it is better to talk with them because they are worth that awkward feeling if it means we can help them navigate through the difficult parts of life. And this same philosophy, it applies to other difficult conversations in life too. The conversations of doing something about sexism or racism or immigration or poverty, all of those conversations are hard. All of them are awkward. But sometimes we need to wade into those uncomfortable spaces if we want things to change so that life can be better for our neighbors because our neighbors are worth the awkward. See, society tells us that we should always be comfortable no matter what, that you should always show the most successful version of yourself. Society tells us, stay in your lane, just worry about your own path, and the cross says no. It may look foolish to the world, but loving God's people, standing with them, it is always worth the awkward. 